And so I've been given the duty of uh, talking about the atonement and how it applies to the life of the believer. And so to do that, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you've been punished unfairly? In sixth grade, I failed two math tests, and I still haven't gotten over it, so let's talk about it. Um, so the first one happens, and I didn't tell mom because I said I have enough time before report card season to turn the grade around. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So I've got enough time to turn things around. Rookie mistake number one. Rookie mistake number two. I only showed mom and dad grades over 85. Very big mistake, because my mom's good at math too. So I'd come home, oh, look at this, 92, 87, 96, right? And then what happened? Report card season came and I didn't have the chance to turn it around. And so report card season comes and mom opens the report card before I even get home. So there's like no getting around it. And my mom's like, something's not adding up here. All I've seen is 85 plus and your report card grade is not 85 plus. And so... I dug deep into my book bag in the little like folded corner where the failed test was and I brought it up out of the deep dark recesses to show I, I failed a test and I didn't tell you. And so mom is very disappointed and so mom punishes me and I forget what the grounding was. But then mom says this, Franklin, next time you fail a test, tell me. You don't have to hide it. I was like, oh wow, mom loves me. Right? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. Now, here's the thing about sixth grade math. Sixth grade math is the year where they decide numbers alone aren't enough, let's add the alphabet. Right? And so it's not hard enough, let's throw that in. Not only that, I had the hardest math teacher in all of Isaac E. Young Middle School. So Miss Morris had no problem letting you know that you had made the tiniest mistakes. And so what happens, I fail again. And there's dread, but there's also a little bit of relief, like wait, mom said I could tell her. So I get in the car, it's about a 10 minute drive home, and I'm acting like everything's fine, but moms, you know. Right? You know what happened. Mom's sitting there and she's like, something's not quite right. And I'm like, no, everything's fine, no worries. But by the time we get home, I am pale as a ghost. And my mom's like, just tell me. So I was like, Mom, I failed another test. And my mom just goes quiet on me, which is great, you know? Um, and so we're just sitting there in the driveway and I'm waiting for mom to speak and I'm like, I mean, you told me I could tell you. And so finally the pause ends and my mom expresses her disappointment. And then she gives me the same exact punishment as before. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, now I'm not telling you anything. Why would I voluntarily give up the very little rights I have in this house? I'd rather hold on to them and wait until you figure out at the end that I messed up. And so I thought it was an incredibly unfair punishment. Mom, if you're watching, God is using this story as a testimony that all things are worked together for good. So... I just say that so she watches the rest of the sermon, right? Um, and, so, uh, 
And so yeah, that happened, and I, I just thought it was such an unfair punishment. The punishment did not fit the crime, and so I've been given part two of atonement, right? And so when we talk about punishment for our sins, we talk about the atonement, and Pastor Stephen, two weeks ago, he shared this very simple breakdown of atonement, at one minute or at oneness, which means two parties that had been separated are now reconciled. And so what we're gonna do today to discuss the atonement and how it applies to the life of the believer, we're gonna read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and we're gonna break that passage down into different segments so that we can analyze how they reflect different truths or perspectives of the atonement and what that means in the life of the believer today. Are you with me? Good, no one fell asleep yet. Wonderful. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you catch the two words used three times? Let us. Let us, three separate charges as to what the work of Jesus should move us to do. And so we're gonna start with the last one in verses 24 and 25, which again says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Three considerations, stir up one another to loving good works, not neglect meeting together, Three, encouraging one another and all the more. When Pastor Stephen talked about example theory or the moral influencer theory, he said that this perspective asks us this. Is God's love evident in how I treat others? The others in that question, it applies to everyone. But here, we first see how we are to consider other believers, Right, because that should be the easiest love we have is other believers that know Jesus and his love, grace, and mercy. Here's how we should show love to them. So we're to stir up one another to love. We're to stir up one another to good works. We're to stir up one another to remain in community. And we're to stir up one another to encourage and all the more. And so given that we're talking about example theory, when I read those stirrups, the question is simple. Did we see Jesus do that in his time on earth? Did we see Jesus stir up one another to love, stir up one another to good works, stir up one another to remain in community, and stir up one another to encourage and all the more? And the answer, church, is yes. Good job. You're still awake. This is good, right? So Christ's love, it compels us to live demonstrable lives of love outward. That his example on the cross was the sinless son of God, fully man, fully God, who while we were yet sinners died for us. The greatest example that his love is not meant to just be shared with brothers and sisters in Christ, but everyone is the fact that while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. There should have been a louder amen for that, right? We were still enemies and Christ loved us so much, he died while we were yet 
sinners. His example of love, it extends to all of us today. And for believers, as recipients of his love, loving each other should be the obvious starting point. But then, like the woman at the well, once we've encountered the grace and love of Jesus, we should be compelled to take that love to others. Because how is it that the story of the woman at the well starts? It starts that at the hottest part of the day, she decided to go to a well further than she had to, all because she wanted to avoid people, because her shame preceded her. She was a woman of low reputation, a woman who was scorned, a woman who wanted to avoid judgment and shame for other people. And so she avoids them to go to this well, and she has this incredible encounter with grace at this well, that when that encounter is over, guess? who she goes running to, the very people that she was avoiding at first. Why? Because she realized this, if the grace and love of Jesus can set me free, it can set them free too. If it can rescue me, redeem me, restore me, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for them. And no amount of shame and judgment could hold her back. She goes running, saying, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. And Jesus, being ever so graceful, changes his travel plans for three days because she brings so many people to see Jesus so that they can experience the same grace, mercy, and love that she did. And so if the woman at the well exemplifies that, how much more should we, the ones who are coming here weekly and being reminded of his grace and mercy for us, how much more should we not just be filled with his love, but fueled by his love to go out and bring it to others? Church, if there's any week that someone's expecting an invite to church, it's this week. Ooh, zero amens, right? If anyone, if there's any time on the calendar that they're like, okay, I'll probably get an invite to church from those churchy people. It's this week. Step into it. Be like the woman at the well who says, hey, he loved and rescued me. He can do it for you too. That's what his love is meant to do is just to, to liberate us. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Man, you guys are awake. I'm loving this, right? So Christ's example of love is that it's to fill this house to love each other, and then fuel us to go love others. That's why I love that when we talk about Bethany, it's not just about what Bethany is doing in its four walls. We explicitly say to help us be an influence in the Pioneer Valley and around the world. And I've got news for you. A church of 450, 500 people can only have an influence in the Pioneer Valley and around the world because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. It is not by my strength, but by his strength. Amen? And so now let's look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 21. And these three verses, they proceed, uh, they come before the let us phrases. So it cuts off mid-sentence, but I just wanted to deconstruct the verse this way because I thought it flowed a little bit better. So, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Dot, dot, dot. All the let us phrases come after that, but I want to stop right there because notice verse 19. The way that verse 19 is written leaves absolutely no room for uncertainty or doubt. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have it, plain and simple. And it's not just about access to a place, it's about who sits over it. The place itself means nothing without the great priest over the house of God. Right? This local house of God, this local outpost in the kingdom of God. The only reason we will be significant in the Pioneer Valley and around the world is that no matter who's pastor, it's Jesus that sits over this house. And so between access to this place and the one who sits over it, there's no question in the writer's mind that we should have confidence. And this confidence, it's also found earlier in Hebrews You usually hear it almost every week from the pastors who get up to pray because we remind you that scripture says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why? Scripture tells us his mercies are new each and every morning and his grace is all sufficient. That means for everything we go through, his grace is sufficient for me. There's nothing I face in this life that his grace cannot power me through. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is all sufficient. This confidence, it has nothing to do with us, but it has all to do with what Jesus has done. If you remember when Jesus was crucified, he cries out and the veil tore from top to bottom, signifying that there is a new way. And the significance and symbolism is clear. Jesus came down to us. He paid our punishment, and now he has given us access permanently. That means nothing can change that. There is nothing that can change what Jesus has done and the consequences for the believers that believe in the healing, restoring power of the cross. But confidence... Confidence changes things, right? Have you ever opposed something like not so sure that you're going to do it all right? Like yesterday, was it yesterday? Yesterday, I had to change my daughter's diaper for the first time. First diaper I've ever changed. Listen, she's three pounds and four ounces. My brain cannot wrap itself around how small she is, right? And so the NICU nurse was dying laughing because I had to pick her up like this to slide the diaper under, and my hands are like shaking because she's three pounds. I thought if I pressed too hard, she'd like break or something, right? And so the nurse is dying laughing because I'm like, okay, right? And I slid the, uh, the diaper under, right? And so confidence changes things. Like ninth grade, of, ninth grade of high school, I'm on the JV team, right? And uh, I'm lining up for a corner kick from the strong side of the field. This is the side of the field where if the goalie's not paying attention, I can score from the corner kick. So I'm getting ready to take it, and all of a sudden the coach of the other team comes screaming down the sideline. So I pause because I'm like, what's going on? This never happens. He's screaming at his goalie, come out, come out. So I look, and the goalie comes out to the six-yard line. And I look at the coach, and just for the record, church, um, sanctification did not reach the soccer field for me, okay? So there was a little bit of arrogance in this moment. So the coach is probably like where the first pew is, and I just looked at him, and I was like, coach, I'm going to score on you. (laughs) Like, I just told him straight up, because I was like, ah, and he just, he kind of gives me like one of these and walks away. 
And I mean, I told him I was gonna do it, so I did it, right? I scored, near post, I wrapped the ball around, and then again, my cockiness got the best of me. As I jogged by him, I gave him the little Michael Jordan shrug, like, I told you, right? I had all this confidence in what I could do, but here's the best part of the confidence that we are called to have in Christ. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus, because what Jesus did, no one can change. And so even on your worst day, your confidence doesn't have to be shaken because Jesus is still good, Jesus is still God, and we still have the victory in Jesus. And so, funny thing about confidence when we talk about the, the high priest who would go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people, before Jesus, when the priest would make this sacrifice, he needed to wrap a rope or a cord around his ankle just in case he was struck dead for not being ceremonially clean and able to enter the Holy of Holies. Does a just-in-case plan sound like confidence to you? Right? Could you imagine, hey, are you 100% sure this is going to work? Yeah. Okay, great. But just in case, take this. No. If you said you're 100% confident, there shouldn't be a need for a just-in-case plan. But guess what? We don't need a just-in-case anymore. There's no rope we have to tie ourselves by. Jesus dying and rising again has made the priesthood for all believers, and we all have access now. Like I had a phone call with a cousin recently, and uh, she got a little worried on Friday because I had posted that Riley Grace had arrived and then she was like waiting for the pictures, right? And then the pictures didn't come and so she got really, really concerned that something wrong had happened. And so I called her on Saturday after we had posted and I was like, I'm so sorry for, for stressing you out. And my cousin looks at me and she's like, listen, um, I just, I don't have as much faith as you, uh, as you do. And I just looked at her and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're all human, right? I might be a pastor, but that doesn't mean there's times where maybe I get a little bit shaky, right? Like on, on Friday, Jackie has the C-section, and then all of a sudden for a couple hours, they couldn't figure out what was going on with the bleeding. I got to tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm going, Lord, I know your word says to not be anxious for anything, but I got to be honest, I'm a little anxious right now, right? No, I'm the only one who wavers, not you. Okay. Whatever, I'll keep preaching, right? And so, but here's the thing, it's never about me. My confidence, my unwavering hope is always in Jesus and what he's done because nothing can change that. Remember, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, John 1, very beginning, what did he declare? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks to Jesus, the punishment we were supposed to face we no longer have to face because the greatest injustice of all time happened at the cross. Let me make sure you hear that because there's times we go through life and we think what's happening to us is unfair or unjust. And I want to remind you the greatest injustice happened at the cross. But because the greatest injustice happened at the cross, we have a grace and mercy that can carry us through. And so stop looking and saying what happened to me is unfair. Look at the greatest injustice of the cross and know there is a power to get you through anything and everything that you have to face in this life. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying he makes it possible. Are you with me? Right? Because for the Christian, it's not a safe life. It's a saved life. Did you catch that? 
We weren't promised a safe little walk through the park and everything's okay because I gave my life to Christ. We're going to go through some things, but here's the thing. No matter the changes we experience on this side of things, he never changes. His grace, his mercy, his love, it never ends. It never dies. It is always available for us, and it helps carry us through whatever we're going through in life. And so thanks to Jesus the punishment we were supposed to face, we no longer have to face because the greatest injustice of all time, it happened at the cross, all to defeat sin and for the punishment to be paid. So now, let me make something clear. We all sin. If you're sitting here and you think you don't sin, pay attention, this sermon's for you, okay? We all, we all sin. Now, it doesn't mean John lied when he said the sin of the world has been taken away. The punishment for sin has been met by Jesus, and yet sin is something very real that we all have to wrestle with. And in Hebrews 12.1, just a couple chapters after this passage we're looking at today, it tells us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And I'm so glad the word says that, because when there's a struggle with sin, I can look at the word and say, hey, the word tells me sin easily entangles. Sin easily trips us up. Sin is clearly a problem. And the reality of sin should never be trivialized or minimized. I want to address this reality of sin because of what Scripture says. It easily entangles. But you know what Scripture also says? He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, yes, there's a reality that sin easily entangles. But, yes, there is a reality that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, to talk about this reality of sin, it reminded me of, of one night um, early on in my ministry at my first church. It was the, the back-to-school night service was coming up, and so I'd been in the office all day, and I get in my car at 12.30 in the morning to drive home, right? And I don't know about you, but late night, alone in the car, is when God loves to be like, are you ready for a conversation? Right? And so I get in the car, and God's like, hey, Franco, I want to show you something tonight. And me, being the incredible man of faith that I am, I said, God, no. Like, I'm really tired right now. Right? Like, please, now's not the time. And so I start driving, and I'm living the broke youth pastor life, okay? My tires are bald. I mean bald, okay? Like any little turn I make too fast, those things screech. You could hear me coming from a mile away, right? And so here I am, it's like a 35-minute drive home, and there's this long stretch of road that's like twists and turns, and there's no streetlights. And so I always drive that stretch of road with my high beams on. So I'm driving, and I get to the biggest, the biggest turn on this road, so I'm coming around, and I may or may have not been speeding. So <laughs> I, I come around this curve, and my headlights hit the biggest possum I have ever seen in my life. It is standing on the double yellow stripe on its back two legs. It's got a snake in its little paw, and it's just, go, it's just chewing away, right? And so I come around this curve, my high beams hit it, and church, like a cartoon, my high beams hit it, my tires screech, and the possum just goes in the middle of the road, right? And so I swerve around it, and I keep going. So I get to the bottom of the street, stop sign, I'm about to turn onto Main Street to get to the highway, and God goes, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, 
because I swerved, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to tell me my life was at risk with what you had to tell me, right? And so I'm like, yeah, I saw it. I was like, mm, I think you need to think about it a little bit. I was like, okay. So I'm thinking about it. I have about 15 minutes left on my drive home, and then God showed me something. God showed me that casual Christians play possum with sin. So there's all this darkness, and here's the funniest part of the story. I knew the possum wasn't dead because it didn't let the snake go. So it's playing dead in the middle of the road, but it didn't let go of that snake. And so I knew it was playing possum, and because of that, it showed me there's casual Christians who play possum with sin. Oh, I go to church, you know, whenever, whenever I feel like it, and, um, you know, you read the Bible sporadically, maybe the app triggers you enough times that you finally open it to read, you know, your verse of the day, right? And here's the thing, going to church, powerful experience. Reading the word, powerful experience. But if you don't make a habit out of it, it's like you're in darkness. And then there's like this brief brief light that shines, and here's what happens. In shock, sin plays dead. Because you may have missed it two weeks ago. Pastor Stephen slipped in some really good theology in one very little sentence. He said, sometimes the devil is permitted to tempt us. He didn't say sometimes the devil tempts us. He said sometimes the devil is permitted to tempt us. You know why? I think we make a mistake when we talk about the power of sin and not the reality of sin. Because the truth is, Jesus said what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So I struggle to say that sin is powerful when Jesus is the one who says, I have all power. When you look in the Old Testament, you see that the devil had to approach God to test Job. In Luke 22, you see Jesus say, hey, Simon Peter, uh, Simon, the devil has asked me to sift you like wheat. The devil had to come to God to ask permission. And so when we talk about the power of sin, sometimes we sound like the little kid saying the devil made me do it. No, 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 you chose it. You chose it. We have this fallen nature that no longer points true north. It, it does this, right? It, it, it puts us first, right? What makes me feel good comes first. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity comes first. And so this sin nature, it, it pulls us off. And so we can, we can go and seek things that just satisfy the flesh. And so that's why I don't like talking about the power of sin because it creates an easy crutch. And yet that's not the reality that scripture tells us. The reality that scripture tells us is Jesus has all authority. Scripture also tells us that we are dragged away by our own desires. It's us. We choose it. Look all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, one rule. Don't eat from that tree. One rule. Why? Because God was setting up, if you love me, you'll choose to obey me. You'll choose to do what I ask you to do. One rule. One rule. And we broke that rule. Because that rule is broken, we experience the fall of man. And that's why we're all born with this fallen nature that seeks to satisfy me, myself, and I first. It's a way of the flesh. And the scriptures paint clear that when sin is full grown, it only leads to one thing. 
death. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so we are born with this nature of choosing that helps us to choose sin more than choose God. And the end of that is death. But thank God we have Jesus. Amen? We have Jesus. And so when you're attending church casually, when you're really not in your scripture, you're putting yourself in this position where the darkness gives room for sin to flourish and sin to thrive. And church, in that story, you're like the snake. The possum played dead, but it didn't let the snake go. And what do you think happened 20 seconds after I drove by? You think a possum stayed in the middle of the road waiting? No, popped back to life, and it kept going to town on that snake, that midnight snack that it had caught. Jesus is the one who declares he is the light of the world. Not only that, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can walk in fellowship with him, drawing near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and holding fast unto the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And we can read of this faithfulness in his word by being in relationship with Jesus and by studying his word, we can stay near to the source of light so that sin does not have darkness to flourish in. And here's the part that really scares me is that the word tells us the devil, the enemy, he likes to masquerade as an angel of light. Why? Because if by his deceiving light, he can make you think you're okay, the devil has no problem knowing that if your end is destruction, he's that angel of light masquerading, helping you think, oh no, this is good. Oh, oh, the Bible was written so long ago, it was for then. It doesn't really apply anymore now. You know, I read, a, I read such a silly tweet on Twitter two weeks ago, it blew my mind. Someone asked the question, if it could definitively be proved that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would you still be a Christian? And I was just like, wow, this is really easy because scripture tells us if he wasn't resurrected, all of this is pointless, right? So I was just like, this is such a silly question. And then I made the mistake of reading the comments. Do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And I start reading the comments and all these Christianese pretzels were there. Jesus is... He's such a great and high moral teacher. You know, his truth can be our truth. And then don't even get me started on the arguments for spiritual resurrection, which just don't make sense to me, right? No, the reason we have the power for today, the reason that sin and death have been conquered is because Jesus did rise from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we wouldn't be meeting here today. He did rise from the dead. We do have resurrection power as believers. And it's because of that power, we shouldn't play possum with sin. We shouldn't play possum with sin. We should know at the cross, sin meets its match. Not only that, death met its match three days later when he rose with all power in his hands. Sin does not need to rule or reign in your life anymore. And I love scripture because scripture tells us that without Christ, we are slaves to sin. But then it tells us he who knew no sin, he didn't take on sin. He became sin that I might become the very righteousness of God. Not only that, it turns around and it says, just like you used to be slaves to sin, you can now be a slave to righteousness. 
Why? Because Jesus took our place. He bore the wrath of the Father. The greatest injustice ever took place at the cross and it delivered us forevermore. Today, you may be caught up in a battle with addiction. Sin might have a place in your life that you wish it didn't have. And I'm here to tell you that the victory Jesus won when he rose from the dead, it's available today. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago will reverberate throughout history for all of time. There is nothing that will stop the ripples that happened at the cross way back when. That happened when he rose with all power in his hands on the third day. That is available to you and I today. And for all the struggle that you might have with sin today, the work that Jesus did in atoning for our sins, Hebrews tells us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And now listen, we all go through valleys in life, but I love that scripture tells us there is nowhere I can go that he is not already there. So no matter how deep or dark the valley, he is present, he is there, and he is faithful. When you're looking a battle in the face, I wanna ask you, turn around and look at how faithful God has been and know he will continue to be faithful as you move forward. He is unchanging, he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now, and he's not about to change on you. And so Hebrews, it's it's brimming with a message of hope and confidence because the work of Jesus is finished. He's won. I know I've said this to you guys before, but I am so glad that scripture tells us that when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Because imagine how messed up we'd be if he had said, it's only beginning. (laughs) Right? We're like, whoa, (laughs) wait a second. Right? No, it's finished. It's done. Nothing can change that result. We might face battles in this life. We might face sin in this life. But Jesus has won the victory. And if you're in Jesus, this is the beautiful promise we have. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Because he's already won it all. I love how Pastor Stephen pointed out that one pitfall of the example theory is that if if interpreted wrongly, it could say, uh, you know, put an effort on on your works to match Jesus' works. And it's just like, wait a second, no, no, no. Salvation is by grace, through faith alone. Jesus did all of the work. Uh, But then read Romans and remind yourself We don't have grace that we might sin, right? Grace doesn't abound that we might sin. We crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires in being Christ-like, but we know that it was Jesus who won the victory. And in Jesus, I have the power to overcome everything that's in front of me. Is that easier said than done? A thousand percent. Doesn't change the fact that it's true though. Doesn't change the fact that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You can have that freedom. Christ has triumphed over the evil powers of this world through which he has rescued his people and establishes a new relationship between God and the world. And as we close today, I want you to know you can have that relationship with him. And I also want to ask you, don't make the same mistake that sixth grader made. 
oh, I have time to turn things around. I don't have to turn it around right now. I have time to turn it around. Or maybe your foolishness goes even deeper. Well, look at all these good things I've done. Mom, Dad, look at, look at my good grades. Right? All this good, all this good, all this good, and yet apart from Jesus, it's not good. Because only God is good. Right? Statistics from like a couple decades ago, they used to call the ages of 18 to 35 the black hole of the church. Why? They've gotten through high school, they go off to college, and they decide, you know what? I've got time. I don't need to do this Christian thing right now. I don't need to do this Christ-following thing right now. I've got time. Let me get my career started. Let me get my family started. And maybe when I have some kids, then I'll come back. Because if it was good for me as a kid, it can be good for them as a kid. And yet what happens? 17 years, right? 18 to 35. That's 17 years. 17 years of just kind of being casual, of not really being a committed Christ follower. And what happens? You, you develop habits over those 17 years. Sunday morning becomes easy to sleep in because, oh, I need to catch up on sleep so I'm, I'm ready for this week. And, and you forget what it is to live for Christ. And now you have kids. And this is when you said you'd bring those kids back to church. But you've forgotten what it is to follow Christ. It's been this casual thing for you. And at that point, when you tell your children to follow Christ, your, your actions are speaking a whole lot more than your words are. Because you know what they say the most damaging thing is to kids is when mom and dad play church on Sunday and their life looks exactly like the rest of the world Monday through Saturday. And so kids are looking at mom and dad and they're going, wait, why are you getting all dressed up and acting like everything's good, but when we're at home, it's a disaster. When we're at home, there's no, there's no loving marriage or anything. It's, it's just, it looks like a game. Church, you know actions speak louder than words. Jesus didn't just say he loves us. He showed it on the cross. And then he showed it again when he rose from the dead. And I want you to know what he did, what he did. It asks far more of us than just going to church once a month or twice a month. It asks us to pick up our cross and to follow him because as we do, we continually experience not just the power of the cross, but the power of the resurrection. Filled by his spirit to be able to live a life that follows after him, that models his love, not just to those close to us, but to everyone. But you can't do it without Christ. It's not just about changing your behavior. It's that Christ came and transformed you from death to life. He didn't die to make you just be a good person. You were dead without him, but with him, you were alive with eternal life that overcomes and is full of power. The one act he's remembered for can cover all of the acts of your own life that you wish to forget. That's how good he is. And so I just want to ask everyone if you could close your eyes, bow your head. I got about three questions for you. My first one is this. Can you be honest and admit that maybe you're like that sixth grader and you think I have a little bit more time to turn things around? I don't need to get things right right now. I've got time. If that's you, would you mind raising your hand? All eyes closed. Maybe you're here and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. 
and you're hearing about this power, you're hearing about this power that can help us to overcome this grace that is all sufficient, this mercy that's renewed every morning, and you're playing possum with sin. And you know that there's this space that you've allowed sin to flourish and you realize I need to bring that to the cross and that this is your moment. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you for that. Finally, maybe you just want this relationship with Jesus. Maybe you wanna renew it today, rededicate your life to Jesus. Saying, Jesus, I'm gonna pick up my cross and follow you. If you're watching online, you can text the word HOPE to 413-300-6061. That'll start a conversation for, for you to get some resources about what it means to follow Jesus. Church, it's worth being committed to Christ to pick up your cross and to follow him. So I'm gonna ask the, the pastors, prayer partners to, to come forward and I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer, but at the same time, I want you to know the pastors are up here to, to pray with you if you need it, that you can respond and we will gladly pray with you. But you don't need to live a powerless life. You don't need to be a slave to sin. Christ died and rose again. His atoning work sets us free from the powers of sin and death. We can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth and a new body with him because of the Christ that did all the work and that work can never be changed. And so I'm gonna pray and you're free to go after, but you'll see us up here. And if you want prayer before you go, by all means, please respond. If you raised your hand today, I wanna ask you, take that step to come forward and have a pastor pray with you. Thank you for hearing the word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your spirit that convicts, that illuminates, that does the work, the sanctifying work in our lives, Lord God. And Lord, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for what you did. Thank you that the veil was torn and we now have access as the, the priesthood of all believers. Thank you that we can come into that place. Thank you that you sit over that place and thank you that we have new life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us as we go. In your name I pray, amen. You are dismissed this morning. If you'd like prayer, we'll be up front. But if not, God be with you. God bless.